0: Continues to run rampant in the northern kingdom of Israel until finally God sends a prophet to confront the wicked king. On the Bible Brief, tell a friend about the Bible Brief today. Your recommendation can help your friends learn the Bible in a whole new way. Tap share on your podcast player and share your favorite episode. lies lead to obscurity because lies are like darkness they obscure things that should be seen clearly and they make things appear less defined than they truly are since lies are merely a derivative of truth they can only exist in the context of truth a lie is a lie simply because it's an untruth a perversion of actuality that obscures the reality it depends upon. If you think about it, counterfeit currency is a form of a lie, a lie that depends upon truth to exist. A counterfeit dollar bill would mean nothing if an actual true dollar bill didn't exist. Without the truth, the false dollar is a fiction of the imagination rather than the deception of a lie. The same can be said about counterfeit gods. They're only able to exist in the context of truth. Humanity looks into the beautiful sky. They look at the design of nature in mathematics and physics. And we conclude that there must be a God. Yet in our corrupt natures, we take that truth and appropriate it for our own use. We create false gods and serve them, rather than the true God. We rebel against truth in favor of lies because lies are often easier and more instantly pleasurable than the truth. And we enjoy the pleasures of lies for a time. That is, until the truth shows up. Truth is like a spotlight on the darkness of lies. Truth dispels darkness like the light of fire coming straight from heaven. Archaeologists have uncovered ancient records of Amri's reign over the northern kingdom of Israel. Records that indicate that he began a powerful and influential dynasty within the Near East. They show a kingdom with the new capital city of Samaria that was only beginning to flex its muscles in the region. The world looked at this northern kingdom and it saw success. Amri's 12 years as king, living in greater evil than even the first king Jeroboam, didn't appear to dampen this worldly renown even as the nation's spirit was being hollowed out by acidic lies in society. Though perhaps enviable from the outside, it was being hollowed out by falsity. This religious and cultural rebellion of Israel would come to a head in the life of Amri's son. And it's in his life that God intervenes in great ways to address the corruption of the northern nation. We read this in First Kings chapter 16. Ahab the son of Amri reigned over Israel in the city of Samaria twenty-two years. And Ahab the son of Amri did evil in the sight of the Lord, more than all who were before him. And as if it had been a light thing for him to walk in the sins of Jeroboam, he took for his wife Jezebel, the daughter of the king of the Sidonians, and went and served Baal and worshipped him. He erected an altar for Baal and the house of Baal which he built in Samaria and Ahab made an Asherah pole. Ahab did more to provoke the Lord, the God of Israel, to anger than all the kings of Israel who were before him. Lest we think that Ahab's dad Amri was the most evil, Ahab one-ups his father. He not only leaves the golden calves that Jeroboam had initially set up, but he also adopts the false god Baal. Remember, Baal was a false god worshipped by the Canaanites, who was apparently a god of rainfall and fertility. Worship of Baal was often in the form of sexual acts. Ahab's wife was instrumental in his further turn from Yahweh. Jezebel was an evil woman, perhaps one of the most evil women in the whole Bible. She urges adoption of Baal worship and helps to make Israel more wicked than ever. Baal worship. In a new Baal temple, Asherah pulls to worship the supposed wife of Baal. Ahab and Jezebel are quite the couple. It's in the midst of this perverse evil that truth begins to have its day, when God sends a prophet to speak to Ahab, a prophet named Elijah. We read this in First Kings chapter 17. Now Elijah said to Ahab, As Yahweh, the God of Israel, lives before whom I stand, there shall be neither dew nor rain for these years, except by my word. In a scene reminiscent of Moses coming before Pharaoh to announce the plagues upon Egypt, Elijah comes to the king of Israel and announces a great drought. No dew, no rain, and by extension dead crops, until Elijah says otherwise. You have to wonder how Ahab took this news. Was he so far from God, so drowning in lies that he initially ignores the prophet? Was his heart so hardened by his own rebellion that he refused to believe Yahweh's message? The only clue that we have is perhaps in what God tells Elijah to do next. He tells him to hide, apparently from the wrath of a king who hates Yahweh and hates Yahweh's prophets. Next we read this. And the word of the Lord came to Elijah. Depart from here and turn eastward, and hide yourself by the brook Cherith, which is east of the Jordan. You shall drink from the brook, and I have commanded the ravens to feed you there. So he went and did according to the word of the Lord. He went and lived by the brook Cherith, that is east of the Jordan. And the ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning, and bread and meat in the evening, and he drank from the brook. And after a while the brook dried up, because there was no rain in the land. Elijah goes from presumably living a normal life to life in the wilderness, being fed by ravens, bread, and meat, and drinking water from the brook that was rapidly drying up. This should remind us of Israel being fed in the wilderness by God. The manna and the quail were provided for them along with water from the rock. Miraculous provision for trying times. The prophet Elijah is a fugitive from this wicked king and queen, and soon after the brook dries up, God sends him to perhaps the place where Ahab and Jezebel wouldn't even think to look. He sends Elijah to the land of Sidon, where Jezebel was from. In Sidon, Elijah finds refuge in the home of a widow and her son. Through Elijah, God miraculously provides food for the household for many months. And more than that, after the woman's son dies, God uses Elijah to resurrect her son from the dead. The first resurrection in the whole Bible. At this point, the drought in Israel has been plaguing the land for a while, and the resulting famine was devastating to the people. But worse than that, Jezebel has been plaguing the prophets of Yahweh in Israel. Apparently, sometime after the famine begins, in her searching for Elijah, she begins to systematically kill the prophets of the Lord, a specified genocide of the faithful prophets in the kingdom. In Elijah's absence, the state of Israel has gotten worse under these wicked leaders. It's in the third year since the drought began that God finally calls Elijah back to Israel, and Elijah hears from another prophet of the awful happenings in the last few years before he finally presents himself to Ahab the king. We read this in 1 Kings chapter 18, starting in verse 17. When Ahab saw Elijah, Ahab said to him, "'Is it you, you troubler of Israel?' And he answered, I have not troubled Israel, but you have, and your father Amri's house, because you have abandoned the commandments of the Lord and followed the Baals. Now therefore send, and gather all Israel to me at Mount Carmel, and the four hundred fifty prophets of Baal, and the four hundred prophets of Asherah, who eat at Jezebel's table. Ahab still rejecting Yahweh's demonstration of power over Israel's affairs, calls Elijah the Troubler of Israel before Elijah corrects him. The true Troublers of Israel are the wicked kings who abandon God's commands and follow the false Baals instead. But after this, Elijah begins to set up a scene with him on one side and 450 prophets of Baal on the other. He tells Ahab to send the people of Israel and the prophets to meet him at Mount Carmel. Mount Carmel will become the location of a legendary competition. So Ahab sent to all the people of Israel and gathered the prophets together at Mount Carmel. And Elijah came near to all the people and said, How long will you go limping between two different opinions? If Yahweh is God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. And the people didn't answer him a word. Then Elijah said to the people, I, even I only, am left a prophet of the Lord. But Baal's prophets are 450 men. Let two bowls be given to us, and let them choose one bowl for themselves, and cut it in pieces, and lay it on the wood, but put no fire to it. And I will prepare the other bowl, and lay it on the wood, and put no fire to it. And you call upon the name of your God, and I will call upon the name of Yahweh. And the God who answers by fire, he is God. And all the people answered, It is well spoken. Elijah effectively says, Let's have a little competition. Let's see whose God answers prayer. Let's test the truth by revealing it with fire. Elijah would prepare a bowl sacrifice, and the prophets of Baal would prepare a bowl sacrifice. The true God would show himself by answering with fire. So the prophets of Baal took the bowl that was given them, and they prepared it and called upon the name of Baal from morning until noon, saying, O Baal, answer us! But there was no voice. And no one answered. And they limped around the altar that they had made. And at noon, Elijah mocked them, saying, Cry aloud, for he is a god. Either he's musing, or he's relieving himself, or he's on a journey, or perhaps he's asleep and must be awakened. And the prophets cried aloud and cut themselves after their custom with swords and lances until the blood gushed out upon them. And as midday passed, they raved on until the time of the offering of the oblation but there was no voice. No one answered. No one paid attention. You can get a sense of the scene. Hundreds of prophets crying out to Baal all day to try to get him to answer their pleas. Elijah's just sitting there, mocking their futile efforts, even saying that maybe Baal is going to the bathroom and doesn't have an opportunity to respond right now. The writer of the account makes it clear to all readers what's going on in the scene. This counterfeit god is being exposed as a nothing. A few times it says, there was no voice, no one answered. There was no voice, no one answered, and no one paid attention. Baal is a no one, a nobody, and a nothing. Baal doesn't exist. Then Elijah said to all the people, come near to me. And all the people came near to him, and he repaired the altar of the Lord that had been thrown down. Elijah took 12 stones, according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord came, saying, Israel shall be your name. And with the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord. And he made a trench about the altar, as great as would contain two seahs of seed. And he put the wood in order, and cut the bowl in pieces, and laid it on the wood. And he said, Fill four jars with water, and pour it on the burnt offering and on the wood. And he said, Do it a second time and they did it a second time. And he said, do it a third time. And they did it a third time. And the water ran around the altar and filled the trench also with water. Elijah is doing something here that we need to appreciate. He's setting up his sacrifice so that it would be impossible to combust without a miracle. He builds an altar of 12 stones, builds a big trench around it, lays out the sacrifice on the wood, and then pours a bunch of water on all of it. So much water that it soaks everything and fills the trench. Without God's intervention, there's no way that this would catch fire on its own. Then Elijah begins his prayer. And Elijah the prophet came near and said, "'O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, "'let it be known this day that you are God in Israel "'and that I am your servant, And that I have done all these things at your word. Answer me, O Yahweh, answer me, that this people may know that you, O Yahweh, are God, and that you have turned their hearts back. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering, and the wood, and the stones, and the dust, and licked up the water that was in the trench. And when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and said, Yahweh, He is God, Yahweh, He is God. And Elijah said to them, Seize the prophets of Baal. Let none of them escape. Join us next time as wicked Jezebel continues her vendetta against Elijah before a new prophet rises to take Elijah's place. The Bible Brief is brought to you by the Bible Literacy Foundation dedicated to helping people like you learn the Bible. Copyright Bible Literacy Foundation 2023.